You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today we're going to talk with one of the icons in the business, Alan Rosen, who is a third generation owner of Junior's Cheesecake. And if you know Cheesecake, you must know Junior's. So Alan, welcome. Um, Just give me first a brief history of Junior's for anyone who's not familiar with it. Um, So Junior's Restaurant um, was opened on Election Day 1950 in Brooklyn, New York by my grandfather and my father and my uncle. And even though everyone refers to us as Junior's Cheesecake, it's Junior's Restaurant. But one of his original things behind, besides having what I would call a moderately priced comfort food type of menu, um, was to have the best cheesecake in New York. It was literally part of his plan. And he went around New York City with his first baker, Igel Peterson, who I always give credit to. And they tasted and tested from legendary places like the Brass Rail and Lindy's, et cetera. And they came back to the bakery in Brooklyn and perfected this magic formula. And it literally hasn't changed in almost 71 years. So talk to me a little bit more about the Brooklyn comfort food items and what else someone can expect on the menu besides cheesecake. Absolutely. So Brooklyn is like what I would call a melting pot of menus. And over the years, you know, Brooklyn went from predominantly Jewish neighborhood to a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And now I like to refer to it as a melting pot because it truly is New York's melting pot. If you know, I always say, if you want to see true Brooklyn, true New York, you go to Brooklyn. So we have everything from matzo ball soup and corned beef and pastrami and brisket and roast turkey to barbecue ribs and chicken. Um, you know, to, you can get a piece of broiled salmon if you like. You can get chicken parmesan at dinner. Um, great salad sandwiches, sort of a no veto vote type of menu, if you know what I mean. So what are some of your go-to menu items? Well, I'm a simple man. So I love a good, uh, Reuben, you know, because I love the combination of the grilled cheese with the corned beef and the grilled sauerkraut. Um, I, of course, love matzo ball soup. Last night I had pea soup for dinner and I had a simple turkey on rye toast with lettuce, tomato and homemade Russian dressing. Um, you know, we have breakfast all day in Brooklyn. Um, you can, so you can always go for, we have iconic French toast. We actually take the thick egg bread and we dip it in our egg batter and vanilla and then we coat it with cornflake crumbs, which I think is kind of unique. We have some signature sandwiches like a something different which is roast brisket on top of two giant potato pancakes. And we serve that with either au jus or mushroom gravy on the side. Cheese blintzes, of course. Um, But it's really just, you know, we even have jerk chicken, you know, at the one in Brooklyn because we have a local clientele there that wanted jerk chicken. So we were always, okay, we'll put it on the menu. And that menu... Uh, pre-COVID had grown and grown and grown. And now due to COVID, we've probably simplified ourselves a little bit as we come out of it. Okay. So let's talk about your COVID experience. Um, so what was that like at the different locations? Okay. Well, I can speak to Brooklyn because that's where I was on that day when the governor made the announcement that all restaurants had to close. And I literally felt like I was in some movie. We didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know if this was going to be a week, two weeks, 10 weeks, 10 months. Ended up being, uh, you know, quite some time. Um, but it was, we, we basically went into like a triage mode and we emptied all the refrigerators and all the restaurants. We cut every piece of meat down to what I would call consumer size. 
had all our employees come into each of the restaurants and go shop grocery shopping, for lack of a better term. Um, it was the best we can do at the time to take care of our family, and our family is our employees. And we basically had everyone come in and pick up a bag of groceries and said, let's stay in touch and let's figure this out. And no one was fired, et cetera, et cetera. We covered medical insurance through the end of June. Um, you know, we did the best we could in a really unknown situation. So now, um, 14 months later, I can reflect back. We reopened our Brooklyn restaurant last June because the Brooklyn restaurant has a different community than, say, our restaurant, one of our restaurants in Times Square. We had a good takeout business. We have good residential base around there. So we did takeout and bakery. And as the local government let us have indoor dining, we went along with, this, with the scale, 25%, 50%, and now 75 And it's going quite well in Brooklyn. And as of last Monday, we just opened our restaurant on 45th Street. And um, it was a pretty decent week, surprisingly, uh, to say. And what kind of response have you had from the locals? Oh, the local response in Brooklyn is our community um, really supported us through this. I mean, you know, it was really nice to see, you know, all these uh, delivery apps that we never used before. You know, we used some of them, but now we used all of them during COVID. And um, it was amazing. Um, our local community appreciates that we're there. You know, we're not there as long. The hours aren't, aren't extended till midnight anymore. You know, we close at nine o'clock on the weekdays and 10 o'clock on the weekends. Cause quite frankly, you know, depending on where you live in the country right now, New York's not back to a hundred percent. You know, it's just not there yet. People aren't as free as they were pre COVID. And, and, and it's funny cause I, you know, in the suburban areas, you see a little more freedom. People are spending most of their time in the suburbs, not in the city. So you mentioned technology um, and the use of the, of the delivery apps. So how was technology integrated into the brand before? And do you foresee the further use of technology moving forward? I think anyone that says no is kidding themselves, of course. Um, so we use technology before with regards to our mail order business. You know, we use that. Um Obviously, you know, e-commerce, et cetera. But as far as our restaurants, you know, in our, in our Manhattan restaurants, we had, you know, the, the, where you go online and you put yourself on the wait list. So those call ahead type of apps. Um, we were using all of that to be more efficient at the host stand. But now that, you know, what, what I'm seeing is this, you know, one, I mean, the, uh, you know, now you have the barcodes where you can just get the menu online. So you scan at the table. We don't need as many menus in the restaurant. Um, we're using that. I see us going to handhelds for the, for the servers. Cause as everyone's heard, there's been difficulty in bringing people back to work. So I think anything that brings us more efficiency in the workplace, technology wise, we're going to have to take a look at. I don't want to make it, you know, I, I've always resisted taking that personal appeal out of the business, you know, part of going to juniors is talking to the server if you're inclined, asking what's going on in the neighborhood, telling them a little bit, bit about it. If you're a local, you know, we'll know you, we'll know your kids, we'll know your birthdays, you know, all that stuff. So I don't, I don't want to lose any of that touch and feel that we have in our business. So what would you say have been the key challenges of operating a restaurant? And this would be pre and post pandemic. Well, 
I would say that it's probably one of the hardest industries pre-COVID, and now it's probably multiplied by 100% as hard, um, whether it's how we pre-portion or bag silverware or single serve on any ketchup, mustard, that type of thing, you know, where it was nice to put a bottle of ketchup on the table before, we're now bringing it in individual containers. So there's lots more portioning and less touch points, if you know what I mean, and and you know, obviously more plexiglass and more separation. But I think as we vaccine, hopefully vaccinate our way out of this, um, some of those things will disappear. We can get back to being more efficient. And as the business dictates, um, you know, being busier and just more, more of a celebration style where people are just gathering and, you know, table to table, you know, not as much separation of, of duties, if you know what I mean. So would you say the pandemic was your most challenging time or, was there some other time that challenged you more? I, I got to think this is it. I mean, think about it. We, had, we have a restaurant that we just opened last week that was closed for 14 months. We have to put cooks back together, servers back together, bussers back together. In some cases, people have pivoted their careers. I was telling someone yesterday, one of our managers decided to go work for a supermarket chain. You know, she no longer has to work evenings. And I totally get it. You know, so, you know, we are now competing with lots of other industries for the same labor. And uh, as we all know, some of, some of that is due to the added unemployment benefits that are out there right now. But some of it is people have just changed their thinking out of COVID or they have child care issues or they're just not ready to go back to work yet because they're scared still or maybe they're not vaccinated yet. So I think it's... uh it's it's a challenging time and this there's by far with you know listen my grandfather went broke twice in his life 1929 and 1949 and if it wasn't for our cheesecake side of our business in the past uh, 14 months you know could have been similar for me this was uh this was as tough as it gets so what kind of lessons do you think you've learned <sighs> i think you never underestimate what a rainy day looks like if I would have said to you 15 months ago that we were going to be closed for a period of many, many, many months, no, no sales, no nothing in, in the restaurant. I mean, last Mother's Day, I think pretty much every restaurant in this country was closed. This Mother's Day, I would say 90, which, whichever ones didn't close permanently were open. But who could have pre ever predicted that? And if we could have, how could we have prevented it? Because this is not anything I would have ever imagined. You know, I said to myself, I think it was April, excuse me, March 15th when the governor made his announcement I could be off by a couple of days. And I, one of the things I kept remarking to myself was I'm glad my dad's not alive to, to see this because this would have killed them. So how hands-on are you in the restaurants? Um, I'm not as hands-on as I used to be, which was a ridiculous amount. But relative to the average owner of four restaurants, I would say I'm pretty hands-on. I was in my restaurant in Brooklyn last night till about 7.30. Um, did I cut any corned beef or pastrami yesterday? No. Did I box a couple of cheesecakes to show people how I like the wax paper on top of the cakes? Yes. Did I talk to my managers about what I saw and what I didn't see? Absolutely. Um, but I happen to have a great team of people that I work with. And, um, you know, I've managed to step back a little bit because it was a very limiting philosophy to be that hands-on. You can only own one restaurant. I mean, there was a time in my kids' lives where I worked seven days a week till they were probably seven or eight years old, certainly during, you know, October, November, December. 
Um, and now I've, I've sort of cut that back. I'm a little older than I used to be. And I find that the more responsibility you give people, the more they enjoy their job, the more empowered they feel to make the decisions. So you've definitely found a lot of work-life balance. Um, uh, yes, I would say I have. It took me a long time, but yes. So Juniors is an icon. Um, so how do you live up to those guest expectations and how has the juniors customer evolved? So the first question is how do we live up to people's expectations are so grand when it comes to memories. You know, this thing was this big when I was a kid. I used to do this much. So everything we've done whenever we've built a new restaurant, it has to be iconic to keep up with our, as you call us, an icon. So our restaurant on 45th Street has great murals on the walls. And, you know, the so the place has to look great. That's number one. But we really have to be great. And one of the sayings my, my folks always know I use is we underpromise and we overdeliver. So for the price, you are going to be astounded that every piece of food made in that restaurant is from scratch. We don't buy one salad dressing, Barbara. We don't make one. We make every sauce from scratch. We roast bones. We make chicken stock every night, overnight believe it or not, in each of the restaurants. So it's really a scratch kitchen. Um, it's comfort food at its finest, the way my I, and people would say grandmother, I'll say the way my grandfather used to make um, because he was the cook of the family, not my grandmother nor my mother, believe it or not. My dad was the cook and in my family, I am the cook. Um, so we prepare things in the most wholesome way. It's nothing over the top, don't get me wrong. But it's a really honest meal for what you pay and, and full value, if you know what I mean. So we have to over deliver every day. We're on, you know, my dad, it takes 70 years to gain a reputation, as we know, and you, you lose it in your last meal. So the second part of the question, um, how has the juniors customer evolved? I, you know what? I think we always had a wide diaspora of customers and we still do. Um, whether it was, um, you know, it was always just a melting pot of people, even in the 50s when certain certain demographics weren't allowed to dine together. My grandfather had none of that, just to be clear. And I think that's why we have such a great local community following. And I never really talk about this because I guess it's a sensitive subject. My grandfather only saw one thing. He wanted to be a successful restaurateur. And whoever came through his doors, he served and took care of like they were royalty and that's what we continue to do today you know people always say to me well how do you how, how, who are the who are the famous people that come and i said the people that come monday wednesday and friday for breakfast or the people that come every sunday after church those are the famous people that come and keep us in business quite honestly but it's as varied as new york city um it's one of the few restaurants you could see the ceo of pfizer sitting next to you know a, lo a local uh, municipal worker next to you know it's everybody's restaurant and that's how we like it so you mentioned before, um, you know, you were doing what we now know as e-commerce since the late eighties. Yeah, um, we and were, we were a, four, we were a on, forerunner in that, right? And selling on QVC. So, um, how important is that to the business? Um, and you know, other people are now just trying to do this. So, what kind of lessons can you tell them? So I will say it's very important to the business, especially in the last year and a half. That business for us saved us, quite frankly, during, during COVID because all of a sudden we had a storefront to the world. Um, so it really helped us. So my advice to anyone who's wanting to do it is make sure your product travels well. 
you know, we always have done cheesecakes, okay? In the past 12 months, we started to do more food, corned beef, pastrami, brisket, different packages on Gold Belly. And you can you see the proliferation of that to restaurants. It's kept a lot of restaurants and busy. busy. But if the quality of what people are getting delivered to their home is as good as the quality that's in your restaurant, you should be successful at it. But we invest a ton in packaging and testing the product, you know, how it ships, et cetera. And we've really got that down. So it's been a very, very helpful piece of our business, especially during COVID. So when adding the other menu items, you know, what was that process like uh, to do so? Oh, we, we did it as nuts and bolts as you would think very rudimentary, but very, you know, very simple. But we would literally take corned beef. Um, we would, we would, um, freeze it defrost it, take it to my home at night and steam it, you know, in my little colander in my pan, the same way you would steam your broccoli. And we came up with serving instructions and telling people how to do it as if they were in their own kitchen. And it all started because I ordered a gold belly approach us and I ordered some cheesesteaks from somewhere and you had to cook it all, which I found really great that I got to go into my kitchen. It was during COVID and the shutdown and I was making food for my three children and I was running out of ideas. You know what I mean? It was like I was a short order cook in my own home. So I ordered these cheesesteaks and I got to saute the onions and chop up the meat and do some interactive stuff with them while they were sitting in the kitchen and they were delicious. And I was like, we got to do this. So now you can get our food at home, reheat it, and it's literally as good as if you were sitting in our restaurant. And do you think you'll continue with this post-pandemic? I think, I th I think we're going to continue with it. And I actually think that we are working on, we're trying, we've been experimenting with coming out with three to four to five center of the plate entrees to complement our supermarket business with our cheesecakes. So prepared entrees for two that are of a different quality than most of what's out there. And that could be a dream on my part, but it's something I've been working on for the last several months. So before the pandemic, you were had a lot of plans for growing the brand, um, you know, in a in a reasonable manner. Um, so, how have those plans changed? They've just gotten pushed back. It's very so people keep you know we were I was about I would say a month away from signing a deal in Las Vegas for another restaurant, and then the pandemic hit. And right now, because of the nature of how I grew up and the glass being half empty. My only focus is on getting our restaurants back to 100%. And as I see that bright light, hopefully, I will then go back to look at opening one restaurant at a time as we've done in the past. And once that one restaurant is fully digested and has the culture and the vibe of what we have in our other four restaurants, which now we have to recreate, by the way, because the people create that culture. So if we have to go outside of the company for 50% of our employees going forward, that's going to take us a long time to reculture this company. Um, so much of it is derived from the people who, who have been with us day in and day out for 5, 10, 15, 25, in some cases, 35 years. And that's, you know, this, this pandemic has taken some of those people out of the workforce forever. So you see, I guess you're optimistic, but. I'm optimistic, but I'm not going to start opening up stores until I get, I have to get my, my four babies back to a hundred percent. When my four 
babies are back to 100%, and that's how we refer to the restaurants like family members, we then will go about growing a company again. But right now, we, we I mean, we're literally, we're at 50% right now. We have two restaurants open out of four. We're going to go up to Foxwoods in the next few weeks and hopefully get that open before Memorial Day. But it's all likely that that restaurant will only be open Thursday to Sunday throughout this coming summer because the hotel we're in will maybe only be open those many days. So what are some of the challenges of running a family business? Oh, it's – well, listen, managing a business without family involvement or without family ties – is difficult enough. With family, you have all, you know, I am the only family member to work in the business. Um, that doesn't mean I'm the only family member who to participates in the business. My brothers both participate in the business, but I'm the one running it day to day. And it creates a, a lot of um, agita, for lack of a better word. And, you know, you're doing all the work. They think you got too much. They think they don't have enough. You know, uh, they're jealous because you were doing this podcast today with Barbara and it was so wonderful, you know. And so it's, you know, it's challenging. There's lots of personalities to contend with. And though you can run a successful business, you might not be able to run a successful family. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and tell you that everything's perfect because it never is. So you were talking a little bit before about reopening. Um, so you're, you know, New York city is starting to come back to life. Um, so how is it going so far and how do you see the summer is going to be? I think the summer is actually going to be decent. I I'm very, people are, people are still crazy. People want to travel. International travel is probably off the table. Yes, we won't have Broadway shows, but you know what? There might be a moderately wet, moderate way, pricing maybe less, you know, for hotel rooms in the center of New York City. It might be a nice time to get out, walk around the city, see parts of the city you wouldn't normally see in the wintertime, Christmas time. It won't be as stressful to get a reservation at this restaurant or that restaurant. Um, we'll do some, you know, there'll be some other activations in New York and outdoor you know, theater may pop up every now and then. And I think it's probably a year where we're going to see some domestic tourism to New York City. And I, you know, the signs in seven days, very positive signs. Obviously, the other day there was a, a, a not great event in Times Square. Um, and so that wasn't great. And, you know, we'll give people pause to come to New York and visit. But I will tell you that um, I think sometimes it takes bad events like that to push people to say enough's enough and we got to get New York back to where it was. So what is it that keeps you so excited about the restaurant business day in and day out? I think it's just in me. You know, when I was a child, if I wanted to see my dad, I had to go to the restaurant. You know, when I was five, six years old, I got up at four thirty, five thirty in the morning and would get dressed real fast and run in. It's in my blood. It's what I love to do. I think you can even tell through the phone here. I can't wait to get done with this and go back to work in Brooklyn. Um, so it's just, you You know, this is a business that you can't fake it if you don't love it because it's too, it's too, it's, it's hard work. So if you don't love it, it's hard to pretend that, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's who I am. I'm, it's who my father was and it's why I always wanted to be in the restaurant business. So we talked a little bit about 
the comfort food and all that, but we really haven't talked a lot about the cheesecake, um, which I love. I saw it in, in a... <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I have a chip on my shoulder. Everyone always says cheesecake, and I'm most proud of the food. Um, which I loved in another interview I saw you refer to as edible ivory, which is so accurate. Yes. Um, so tell me a little bit about the cheesecakes and the innovations that you make. Just so you know, it was a writer for the Village Voice who first used that in the 70s. And his name was Ron Rosenblum. So I don't want to take anyone's words, but Ron Rosenblum said it was edible ivory. And I've sort of taken license with that. Um, so cheesecake, I mean, obviously is so much of what we do. Um, the sponge, so we start from the bottom. Okay. We make a thick layer of sponge cake, a vanilla cake. And we cut it into about a quarter inch slice. We put it on the bottom of every cheesecake we make, which is unique. A lot of people who are listening to this program, they say, oh, I get graham cracker, I get shortbread. I... This is what we do, okay? We take sponge cake on the bottom. We, take a cre- we blend cream cheese, fresh eggs, sugar, heavy cream, a touch of vanilla. We blend it with a paddle, not with a whip, so we don't incorporate a lot of air into it. Blend it for about 45 minutes. We then deposit it into that pan. We bake it in a water bath, so you surround each pan with water. We bake it for 45 minutes to an hour, depending on the size of the cake, at 380 degrees. It rises up like a souffle, and then we take it out of the oven. We don't move it. Why don't we move it? Because as everyone knows who's ever tried to bake a cheesecake at home, it cracks. Um, that, can, that crack can also happen, you know, if you have some dry ingredients in your cheesecake that hasn't, you know, been mixed properly. So we, we let it cool. We let it sit overnight, actually, in a refrigerator. Then the next day, we heat up the pan and we depan it. And then we put it back in the refrigerator. But when you're serving it at home, if you use our mail order business or you get one in your local supermarket, the best, my best recommendation is to leave it out on your counter for as long as possible and enjoy it at room temperature because all the flavors come right back to it. It's really creamy and really rich. So tell me about some of the different flavors, um, and you're always adding new ones to the mix. Well, we're, we're, we're purists at heart, so we do add new ones, but for the most part, our most popular is New York-style original, strawberry, blueberry, cherry, pineapple. Then we have what I would call more involved cakes, for instance, uh, chocolate mousse cheesecake, which is a plain cheesecake covered in chocolate mousse, enrobed with chocolate ganache. We make what I call layer cake cheesecakes. So we have a carrot cake cheesecake. We have a devil's food cheesecake. We have a red velvet layer cake cheesecake. Um, you know, that other national chain that has all those fancy flavors. A lot of those flavors they've adopted from our menu, to be truth be told. We have sort of shied away from this, the, the candy bar cheesecakes and stuff like that because we believe we have a cheesecake legacy here. And we don't want to cover it up with any ingredients that are too strong. So who would you think, say, is your competition? I th- well, listen, every restaurant in the country makes cheesecake. You know, the most popular, not every, but the most popular dessert on restaurant menus in the United States of America is cheesecake. Um, in any local market where we have a restaurant, whether it's Times Square or Brooklyn, New York or Foxwoods, um, whoever, you have a choice where to go for dinner on a Friday night or a Saturday. And you can go to restaurant. You, you know, the, the, your local restaurant, you can go to Junior's, you can go to any, any number of restaurants. So that everyone's your competition. People have options where to spend their dining out, you know, dollars and choose where they want to go. And they're going to go to the place where they feel like they get great value, they get great food, and they get great hospitality. So what do you think your grandfather would think about the business today? 
I think he would think it, it exceeded his wildest dreams. My dad too. He, he said so much to me before he died. When I got into the business, we had one restaurant in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, we had a mail order business that was started because customers moved to Florida and they'd say, hey, send me a cheesecake and we'd run downstairs, we'd freeze it up, we'd write the air bill by hand at the time, believe it or not. Anyone can, can't remember an air bill by hand, but I've done it. And we put it on the box and send it to Florida. So, but that was our business. And now, you know, we have four restaurants. We have, we make, I don't know, three to five million cheesecakes a year. We're in over 6,000 supermarkets. We have a very large mail order business. Um, so, you know, I think you'd be very surprised and pleased that we stayed true to the roots. And do you think your children are going to pick up the legacy and become the fourth generation owners? I, I, I don't know. My, my, I, have, I have two 20-year-olds and a 17-year-old, and I think maybe the 17-year-old might be inclined, but I don't want to put any pressure on my kids or expectations that, that that's what they should do. Because as I said earlier, if you're not passionate about it, it's not something you can do every day. You know, working Christmas Eve is not for everybody um, or Christmas Day. And I've done, I haven't gone away on Christmas. I think maybe I've gone away once in 25 years. So, uh, you know, it's not for everybody. And I'm not complaining, by the way. I love it. It's part of my routine and packing catering orders on Thanksgiving morning, you know, so people can have a fantastic turkey dinner as part of my tradition. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what they want to do. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great.